Welcome to China Tech Talk, the official podcast of Techno.com. I am John Artman, editor in chief. So this week we are joined by Vijay Govind,、um, a an old China hand. It's、uh, this is one of the things that I really love uh, about uh, about WeChat in particular.、Uh, so Vijay, he was a, sub- a subscriber to our official account,、uh, and then he left a comment,、uh, a very、um, Relevant and good comment, unlike to be honest, most comments that we get,、um, and immediately was like, "This is the kind of guy that we want in our WeChat group." And、uh, since then,、uh, he's proven my theory to be completely correct, and that's why we're having him、uh, on the show.、Uh, and so VJ is a pretty old China hand.、Uh, unfortunately, it does seem that he is going to be uh, moving uh, outside of China for、um, his own reasons. Um, but、uh, but he's been in the in the auto industry in China for for quite some time,、uh, and so it was really kind of cool to get his take,、uh, in particular on、uh, the current state of the automotive industry and where it intersects with、uh, with technology, which of course he is.、Uh, He is perfectly placed to talk about since he was dealing、uh, with Ford's、uh, IT infrastructure in particular, and kind of figuring out how to、uh, integrate some of those systems、uh, into the onboard systems of cars. And so we talk about Ford,、uh, we talk about、uh, working at、uh, an American company in China,、um, and then we also look at the broader automotive industry and talk about autonomous vehicles as well as、um, electric vehicles, which is always fascinating for me. Before we get into it, I wanted to remind you that if you have not already, you should definitely subscribe to our newsletters. Every day, we send out newsletters, including our daily briefing, a curated summary of the most important news coming out of China's tech, as well as the China Funding Daily, a curated summary of the biggest and most important fundings in the Chinese startup ecosystem. And without further ado, I give you VJ Govind. All right. Well, Vijay, thanks so much for for coming on the show today. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's uh, it's very interesting for me to be on the Noteworthy podcast. Yeah, I think we're we're gonna have a lot of fun.、Um, but one of the first things that I like to ask、uh, people who come on or that I interview uh, publicly um, for the first time um, is, you know, what is your what is your China story? So give us a quick introduction of yourself and kind of what brought you to China and、uh, what you're doing now. Okay, so、uh, for everyone, so my name is Vijay Govind. That's my full name.、Uh, I've been based out of Shanghai since two thousand eight. So yeah, tenth year in Shanghai.、Uh, so the story is this, right? Back in two thousand eight, I was actually working in the fintech sector, and my company came up and said, like, okay,、uh, we got two opportunities for you: one in Sydney and the other one in Shanghai. Uh, and given that you know, I've always wanted to do an MBA,、uh, and I wanted a decent resume. I was pretty sure that if I choose Sydney、uh, or any other Western country, quote unquote, I would be just one of the other、uh, Indian IT males. <laughs>、uh, so just just for the sake of、uh, my resume, I decided that you know I'll take the Shanghai assignment,、uh, especially since my boss told me it's going to be for six months. Uh, but that six months turned out to be、uh, eventually four years, right?、Um, and that's when I, in my fourth, during my fourth year in、uh, Shanghai, decided that you know I'll quit and、uh, do my MBA because I was getting really old and I was really comfortable with my job.、Um, 
And by the end of the MBA, one thing was clear that, you know, I needed to get more experience outside the fintech space. Uh, so uh, I decided automotive was the right space for me. And uh, a few interviews later, I started as uh, the IT strategy manager for Ford Motor Company. Um, and that that is in 2014. Um, over the next four years, I worked in various strategy roles. Uh, got to learn a lot, uh, but uh, if I can be a little bit uh, honest, uh, there are a lot of changes happening in China that uh, I felt that it was the right time for me to move on uh, from China. Uh, and my wife, who's also a Chinese, agreed with uh, me. Uh, in fact, that's the first time she agreed with me. Um, and I got uh, I started looking for opportunities outside China and got uh, something from a Japanese company. So this is my last year in uh, China. Uh-huh. So I guess that's a it's a good enough summary. I guess I hope so. <laughs> Just like to emphasize that uh, these views are my personal views and uh, not the views of my past or future employers. I need mm. to I need to be clear about this. Mm. Mm. So uh, so how long have you been in China now? How many years? 10 years, John. Wow. Uh, 2008 to 2018. So, yeah, exactly 10 years. Yeah, that's that, it's funny. That's about how long I've, I've been here um, as, as well. So, I mean, so you're doing IT strategy for Ford for the last 10 years. Is that is that correct? No, I actually worked first four years was in the fintech space. Mm. So, I was in the payment processing space of for another American company um, and then two years uh, do, doing my MBA in uh, CEIBS okay. and then four years in the automotive sector. So so uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, I mean, why the, so why the transition from fintech into automotive? I mean, were there, like what what, what kind of skills or, or uh, like skill set or experience is, is, is transferable between the two? So, of course, the IT skills, right, uh, the ability to manage projects and understand technology was one of the things that uh, was definitely transferable. And for me, I had some experience working with, uh, you know, different sorts of clients and multicultural experience, that sort of thing, which uh, was something that was required for this role, given the vast interaction that was required uh, in the IT strategy role. Uh, the other thing definitely that helped was my MBA because uh, obviously that gave me a bit more of, uh, you know, uh, I would say it's more of a, a wider knowledge uh, when compared to what it was uh, during my IT uh, work experience. So that sort of helped, uh, but definitely it's more to do with my multicultural experience. My Chinese language skills, of course, helped uh, uh, that. That definitely was one of the things that uh, did help, even though Ford Motor Company is an international, multinational company, right? Yeah, so I'm kind of curious. I mean, like, what's what's it like working for, I mean, so two, two American companies uh, while while living in China? I mean, were, were most of your coworkers uh, Chinese or was there like a mix or, or how, how did it end up uh, breaking down? So um, at least... 90%, 95% of my colleagues are Chinese, and that is expected, right? I mean, uh, you can't expect a all-American firm, uh, all-American or all 
you know international sort of a um, crowd in 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 china right but uh, for me my biggest advantage at least in the first role was that uh, i was working closely with the top management and they were all uh, pretty international folks or people who who are expatriated from different countries so that was sort of a, a soft landing for me in china i know a lot of people who came in and they had to work directly with uh, you know a, a chinese partner or things like that which uh, which did not happen with me but in ford definitely it was a mix like the top management was a mix of uh, um, foreigners and chinese most of the people who were my peers were chinese so uh it was a good test of my my language skills as well as uh, my ability to understand the chinese culture yeah and what would you say was the biggest challenge in 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 that regard with with the language in in the culture um culture see uh, i'm definitely not chinese so there are some of the cultural nuances that i miss uh, especially in the first 4 years it was pretty difficult for me to understand the meaning of certain things like okay we will think about it right uh, i i did not un- know for like about 6 months that that meant no right uh, so few of those things was uh, was challenging um then trying to understand uh, you know what motivates the 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 local people was some of the other some of the other challenges that i had had to face uh language of course initially i used to feel a little uh, awkward because you know people used to talk uh, very freely in chinese during meeting uh and then i recognized the fact that you know we can't expect the whole world to speak english and um, i started learning the language uh eventually uh, by the time i joined ford uh, i could sit in meetings where the discussions are happening in chinese and i could uh, follow what was the discussion obviously i couldn't contribute uh but <clears throat> i would say like you know uh, after my 8 year mark in china uh, i was pretty confident that i could contribute in chinese also so yeah uh, one of the things that i found is that uh, uh, my attempts to learn language uh, obviously sort of uh, uh, helped in making sure that you know that cultural bridge is bridged uh, effectively so so i'm curious i mean because you know so the um the automotive industry is a fairly uh, traditional industry and you know we we're seeing a lot more um car companies trying to make you know at first it was kind of like uh, the connected cars uh now it's uh, more to do with um electric vehicles and autonomous driving and and things like that so i'm kind of curious i mean like you know for for you and kind of the projects that you were well i guess i guess that's the question i mean what what kinds of projects were you working on specifically so okay so uh, within my it strategy role right uh, i i actually worked in three different roles john so the first role was in overall uh, organizational strategy right where i worked closely with the uh, cio that is the chief information officer for asia pacific uh, and helped to designed the strategy for the whole uh, asia pacific region 
now that is more to do with like you know what our objectives look like what are the the high level strategic items right uh, i hardly dealt with anything that is tactical other than you know recommend okay you know we should look at uh, what is the future of the technology going to look like so you're right uh, some of the things we actually think in traditional uh, ways right for example uh, we might be thinking about uh, okay putting in a uh, a connected bluetooth module in the vehicle whereas the uh, the chinese competitor has already put a 12 inch monitor in the car and it provides you with like gps updates and so on and so forth right so those sort of things i actually started looking because i realized that looking at overall strategy is a great opportunity for me to interact with the top management but to get to the the reality of the situation i need to go one level down and that's where my second role uh, sort of helped me understand the reality right uh, i actually worked with the connected vehicle and the connected consumer team so basically connected consumer is uh, essentially the applications and the softwares that uh, allows the customer to interact with the vehicle or provide uh, a sort of a a uh, communication channel with the uh, ford uh, backend systems right uh, connected vehicle as the name says it's a vehicle with a modem in it uh, a lot of people try and comp- over complicated but uh, a simple way to think about it it's like a it's a it's a, a cell phone on four wheels right uh, as simple as that now having said that uh, this is where y- i found the most amount of challenge in the sense that uh, i was exposed to this concept of clock speed right uh, where the technology that we put into the vehicle is developing much faster than we can you know design and put out vehicles so traditionally uh, a vehicle design takes anywhere between 3 to 6 years depending on you know what kind of vehicle are you producing and what amount of testing you do uh, in china in some cases some of the local automotive manufacturers they don't emphasize too much on testing and all those things but uh, be as uh, uh, an international manufacturer we we want to ensure that safety is our concern so yeah it takes anywhere between 3 to 6 years for the development of the vehicle but the technology that we put in like for example uh, the time we planned for putting in a 3g modem uh, was probably in 2010 but by the time the vehicle came out into the market let's say in 2013 or 2014 uh, 4g was already the standard now this clock speed is something that is a huge challenge for uh, automotive company we need to be able to look forward and understand what is the technology that is going to come but unfortunately we don't have those technologies in our hand to actually plan or design our vehicles uh, i hope i'm making myself clear uh, around this point yeah no i mean it, it's it's just it's really interesting stuff i mean I, so i'm actually i'm in the middle of reading uh cryptonomicon if if you if anyone's you know had a conversation with me recently i probably reference this book uh mm-hmm. it's a book by uh, by neil stevenson and uh historical fiction uh kind of in world war 2 uh cryptography in world war 2 and then mm-hmm. um also it, it kind of more more modern day it was it was published in the 
in uh, the early 2000s, but uh, kind of foreshadowing cryptocurrency in, in a certain sense. So super interesting. Wow. But um, but basically, uh, at one point in the book, uh, he's kind of uh, Alan Turing as a character. Um, and one of the th- one of the things that Alan Turing is trying to figure out is, OK, how can I build, you know, the Turing machine? How can I build a machine, um, a computing machine that actually works and, 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 and can uh, compute universal uh, algorithm. So it's not, it's not, you know, only uh, built or designed for one thing. And the point that he makes is that, you know, it's actually, you know, given, given the pace of uh, development back then and the time that it would take to, uh, to actually build something like, like that, that he wanted to, it actually, you know, it takes, it, it's actually a lot uh, easier in terms of time just to invent the technology himself uh, and then, and to, and then build the machine based on the new technology uh, that, that he himself invented. So I'm kind of curious, I mean, is there, is there a similar parallel in, in the automotive industry or is it, this is just something completely, uh, completely irrelevant, uh, the, the story, the story I mean, that I'm relating? Oh, well, I mean, uh what you're talking about is uh, complete vertical integration within the automotive space. And wow, I mean, <laughs> a lot of companies aspire to do that, but in reality, it's extremely difficult for us to do that in the sense that the time and money investment required is, in fact, huge, right? Um, I mean, I can, I can speak to the fact of, uh, let's say, um, the connected vehicle space itself, right? Now, for us, as a, I mean, let's say either me, uh, Ford or my future employer, if they have to develop a connectivity technology by themselves, you're looking at, uh, you know, getting that sort of people on board to begin with, right? And then making the right investment and trying to understand the technology all over again. So, I I would say that uh, what companies are doing right now is making strategic investments into either partners or acquiring companies that can actually uh, can bring in this uh, capability and we we can talk about this little bit more if uh, we are talking about the autonomous vehicles and stuff like that right uh, wherein you can see a lot of examples uh, in the automotive space where the technology is actually acquired from external uh, partners at least the the, the AI part of it, right? So yeah, yeah. that's. The, I think I think that's that, that's kind of interesting, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask. Is kind of, I mean, so because again, the automotive industry is quite traditional, and and usually when we're talking about traditional versus uh, tech companies, let's say, uh, traditional companies have been very slow in mm-hmm. in, in terms of in terms of innovation. Um, just kind of the way the way that they're they're, they're uh, the companies are structured themselves. Decision making takes takes quite a long time, um, and so. And so I'm kind of curious. And so with with uh, with Ford and, and your experience, I mean, how did you find, you know, their how did they deal with China? Um, you know, I mean, obviously, we're not we're not talking so much about tech right now. But in terms of like IT strategy, was there like a marked difference uh, between like the China strategy and the global strategy? Uh, because the two, I mean, like, you know, the U.S. market and the China market are, are very, very different. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, one of the factors that we uh, we actually considered is the fact that you know china is moving at a vastly different speed right especially the tech space right and and i don't mean the hardware part of it but the software is moving at a vastly different spe- uh, speed and uh, obviously the regulations are different so we needed to consider those aspects also 
uh, while uh, designing the strategy for china so obviously there are certain things that happen globally but uh, we wanted to ensure that anything that we do in china is is reflecting the true nature of uh, the the reality of the china market right so obviously uh, we looked at what are what sort of partnerships are we doing in in the china market right are we are we having the right partners so obviously certain uh, uh, pushes there from the global team to like consider global partners but uh, we always try and you know uh, understand what are the local capabilities of these global partners and if uh, this this partner does not have the right sort of uh, capability we would actually look at alternatives in the china market so definitely like you know uh, and obviously regulation also played a huge part to be honest like for example uh, um, one of the examples that i can really think about is the the map uh, data provider right obviously we have to have a partner in china and it doesn't matter who is the global partner we need to ensure that uh, there is a local china partner uh, to 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 have uh, appropriate uh, access to the data so uh, we ensured that you know uh, there is going to be the right partnerships but yeah you're right uh, when you when we first when i first started there was a lot of resistance from the global team in terms of uh, you know some of the applications that were common in uh, in in china so one of the examples that i can really think about is uh, our wechat integration came in a bit later when compared to some of the other automotive manufacturers uh, and i'm not saying that uh, something which is uh, a secret it's a known fact uh, this is entirely because the global team was not convinced about uh, the 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 importance of wechat in china market and and i know that that sounds very strange but then you have to think from a from the perspective of a of a an american team who's got very little exposure to china so you're talking about like the wechat integration and things like that so walk us through some some of like you know how did how did you guys how do how do car companies in china use these use these types of technologies maybe like more more consumer facing things that i think a lot of listeners would be familiar with right so um i i i guess one of the most important uh, you know uh, aspect of wechat is the fact that it's uh, so widely used in china right so a um, lot of people especially the car companies recognize that this is a a superb marketing tool for uh, a, a new line of car or let's say a, a, a product that they're going to launch very soon and they recognize that you know wechat offers out of the box a lot of capability that can allow them to uh, you know at least market products to the customers and with wechat advertising being more and more popular uh car companies recognize that you know uh, wechat is one of the channels that they must rely on uh so it i would say that about uh, 80 to 90% of the automotive manufacturers started as uh, sort of started using wechat as a marketing tool right uh, given the the spread of uh, the wechat uh, uh, all over china and 
some of the common methodologies they used were like official accounts to start with but uh, right now most of the people are switching over to um, mini programs because it's uh, way more powerful when compared to the official accounts uh, and of course it was a natural thing that given that this is a customer facing tool um, one of the things that companies immediately recognize is the fact that they can use this for customer relationship management and with the capability of uh, wechat to have uh, you know automated responses and uh, uh, sort of intelligent robots sort of thing uh, that was one of the areas where uh, most of the companies moved to uh the customer engagement part right so if let's say you want to book a, a, a service a vehicle service with your dealer so you can follow any of the uh, official accounts uh depending on your car manufacturer and then find out where is the nearest dealership uh, find out when can you book a, a book a, a, a service slot and things like that right now other things that uh, obviously some of the companies are doing is uh, trying to provide some value added services like uh, pick up and delivery services so what you can do is you can uh, connect with the dealer and ask him to come and pick up your vehicle uh, service the vehicle and drop it back at your you know office or home location so these are some of the capabilities that uh, uh, wechat you can deliver through wechat uh, and most of the companies are actually also using wechat mini programs to understand uh, what are some of the features the customers are looking for in in their app right so obviously a full fledged app delivers more capability uh, at least in terms of performance so what companies are doing is uh, uh, if there is a new feature they want to bring in they would probably add that to the and i say probably because not everyone does this probably add that to the wechat mini program try and understand like what is the uptake of this feature and then add this feature uh, to the uh, main application so yeah these are some of the use cases that uh, i have directly experienced or i have heard of yeah i mean it's always really cool to uh to find out about kind of what what some larger uh, corporations are doing uh, with WeChat and with other consumer-facing um, things, because again, I think you know. So, for example, uh, Matt and I for uh, China Tech Talk, we spoke with um, uh, Ted Hopkins a couple of weeks ago in in Shenzhen, uh, and you know, like what Walmart has done with uh, with WeChat and and the Scan and Go uh, functionality uh, has been amazing. And mm-hmm. so, it's always it's always really interesting to see you know, you know how corporates. These large, like large companies like Ford or Walmart. I mean, number one, they're they're not Chinese, and so they're at a slight disadvantage because of that. Um, right. But then also, they're, but they're still able to, um, I think, smartly manage their local teams. Uh, and give them a bit of autonomy so that they can actually build out, you know, consumer-facing products that that actually work. Absolutely. Um, and so it's always it's always really cool to see that because you know, uh, like BYD, I'm sure you know they 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 they've been you know on WeChat for for quite some time. Uh, whereas as you said, it took it took Ford a little while to kind of uh, get get on that boat. Correct. So yeah, I guess I'm kind of curious as well. I mean, do you think that any of the any of like the lessons of IT strategy um, in China it was was any of that kind of um, picked up in you know globally or or in other markets? I mean, like, 
did 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 IT strategists in other countries, um, you know, look to you guys for any lessons or or insights? Um, I want to say yes, but the answer is no. <laughs> Unfortunately, but uh, I guess uh, there is this shift that is happening. Um, uh, see, uh, to be honest, uh, it's possible that after I I have moved out, uh, there's some sort of changes that are going to happen within the company. Uh, there is definitely more China focus uh, uh, right now, even globally in in the company. So they're trying to understand like some of the use cases of. Uh, where AI and auto- automated response systems are being used. Uh, legacy transformation is one of the areas that they are looking at uh, China because they see how fast uh, the companies here has migrated out of legacy technology. But uh, to be honest, at least in the companies that I have worked in, um, China is still uh, um, the... The, the steps on right let me put it that way <laughs> okay i mean i i have a stepdaughter so you know be careful with that one uh, oh sorry it's fine uh, it's fine yeah. i know I, I mean it makes sense it makes sense i mean you know it's just i mean china china's a tough market mm-hmm. um and it's i think i think you know you you can't you can't fault a company for for being smart in the sense that they, if, if they realize that it's going to take too much money or, or too much effort, or if it's going to be a waste of time, um, you know, it's a smart company to say, okay, well, we're not going to waste our time. We're not going to waste our money on a market that we're not going to be able to, to, to win or at least right. be, be effective in. Right. No, John, I mean, the, you, you make a very valid point here, right? I mean, obviously, pl- companies want to play to win, right? Let me put that uh, basically they want to ensure that you know they're getting the complete value out of uh, all the investments that they're doing in the market now there are certain things that are uh, happening within the china market which is making uh, western companies who want to operate in the china market uh, more china focused right uh, one of the examples that i can think about is the cyber security law right uh, that is uh, making a lot of companies rethink their strategy when it comes to China, right? Uh, At least, sorry, at least when it comes to like, you know, how do they deal with the the loss in terms of the data? How do they protect the data and things like that? So, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of companies are actually rethinking their China strategy. I'm not saying that they want to leave China and all that, but they're thinking how to manage the the technology strategy within China, right? Uh, and definitely uh, in China, the regulation plays a huge role um, in 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 ensuring that um, you know a company can operate uh, effectively in China. Yeah, I mean, it is it is getting harder and harder uh, for for foreign companies to uh, to succeed um, in in China. Um, and I think one of the things that I that I that, that we do want to talk about um, is is the cybersecurity law. Right. Um, so the cybersecurity law. Um, so China Tech Talk, we did an episode with Sam Sachs uh, about a month ago, two months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really interesting. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, 
and we really kind of go go deep on on kind of on what the cybersecurity law is and what does it actually mean. Um, right. But it, but Vijay, in the in the automotive space, I mean, has it has it affected operations um, for for foreign companies in China? Is it making it actually harder to do business here for for automotive uh, companies? Right. So uh, so basically, the cost of doing business, right? will go up for larger automotive manufacturers because there are a lot of ifs, buts, and, you know, a lot of clauses within the cybersecurity law that, uh, frankly, is open to interpretation, which confuses a lot of uh, automotive manufacturers. Now, there are, like, uh, for example, the top three, uh, I think it's uh, Volkswagen Group, uh, General Motors, and the Hyundai Kia I believe they already have uh, data centers here, so they are like more or less protected. But uh, the other, most of the other auto manufacturers usually use a centralized data center. And now most of them are rethinking what is their data center strategy. Now, this is, this is like we are talking about tens of millions of dollars and even up to $100 million investment uh, for setting up a new data center. Uh, but the issue is that the 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 way cybersecurity defines network operator or critical infrastructure is so vague that the companies are finding it uh, very difficult to make a decision on that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if you are a new player, uh, definitely you will find that you are at a disadvantage, especially when it comes to cybersecurity law. Um, I'm I'm actually looking forward to understand like you know what is Tesla strategy because they're just coming into China market setting up a factory and all that, so their data strategy has to be uh, pretty solid. For us, uh, I mean for Ford Motor Company, uh, my previous employer, I need to remind myself that like ten times. Habits <laughs> <laughs> <So>, die hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for Ford Motor Company, we recognize that uh, uh, there are certain areas where we are at certain areas we are okay, but uh, if we have to play in the market, we need to have a long term strategy in terms of data center and things like that. Now, the issue is uh, generally when you work with a joint venture, right, JV in China, JV's uh, go-to answer for all all these sort of issues is like, oh, why are you worried? Let's just set up a data center, right? And uh, obviously that would actually be a huge capital investment for a company, for any company, in fact. So uh, there has to be a right balance that has to be achieved. Some of the other challenges, for example, which is not exactly related to cybersecurity law, but uh, somewhat related to this data uh, fencing or data geofencing is is this the way we deal with the GPS data, right? So there are like few restrictions as a foreign company for you to like have access to GPS data. You cannot export the data outside the uh, border of uh, uh, the greater China and things like that. So that's another thing that we need to deal with. So we aren't, we are, uh, we would say it's like sort of a arranged marriage between tech companies to find the right partner who has the right licenses and things like that. Um, yeah, so again, uh, it's getting more and more difficult. Uh, obviously, companies are now trying to understand uh, 
how do we how do we have a, a you know a strategy that will ensure that you know we are not spending too much money we are compliant from a cyber security law point of view and we can have uh, you know the right uh, right mix of uh, you know global versus local data center versus uh the the equipment that we use because that's another area that is uh, that is sort of uh, a gray area for us mm. right because we have uh, suppliers which are international i don't want to name anyone um, but yeah mm. uh, we have global contracts so how do we deal with the situation yeah that's interesting and so i mean so i mean correct me if i'm wrong but what from the way that you're explaining it i mean like a company really has to go all in um, in terms of data centers um, and uh, data sovereignty. Let's say in China, uh, if 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 they want if they want it to be worth it, um, and so is that is that right? So, <laughs> John, uh, I don't want to be misquoted on this. The thing is, the cybersecurity law. There are like certain limits. Like, okay, if you have more than one million transactions per day and things like that then you need to have the uh, data stored if mm. you have uh, customer data then you must store it in so right now yes the safe way out is definitely to have a data center in china right that is the safest option because that way you are 100% compliant right regardless of the volume of data that you deal with mm. uh, now companies are hesitating due to the simple fact that it is really expensive to set up data centers i mean that is a fact now if you if you are one of those companies still using ibm mainframe technologies you're talking like millions of dollars per year in licensing cost and you multiply that by 2 because you need to have a centralized data center for your other locations and a china data center so companies are definitely giving a serious thought about this uh, unless and until you are selling millions of cars uh, they they are obviously trying to figure out what is the safest way to have a central data center and mm. be data compliant mm. right mm. Mm. So I guess this kind of this kind of dovetails into, or at least it's an interesting segue uh, into um, something else that that I wanted to talk about. Um, so let's start. Let's just start off kind of talking about uh, Tesla in 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 particular. Um, I mean, so they're taking China very very seriously. Uh, they've been working uh, pretty closely, it seems, with the Shanghai government. Um, I mean, how do you how do you rate their chances of success? Uh I would say moderate, <laughs> right? Moderate uh, chances of success, right? Uh, now, I love to see like how the 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 this whole uh, issue of the trade war between U.S. and China plays out, because uh, uh, the fact is that some of the people get emotional about uh, these sort of things, and they might make that decision based on that, right? Their purchase decision. Now, let's assume that the, the the model 3 is a huge success in terms of uh, the fact that you know it's a affordable car um, relatively affordable electric vehicle um, with a decent amount of range now let's say that is successful globally and um, mr musk decides that okay they need a model uh, i don't know 4 uh, or something like that for china market uh, the issue is that 
at that price point we already have like about i don't know uh, the last i heard is 180 to 200 uh, players in china market right now you're going up against these players right in terms of uh, trying to get the market share especially at a time when uh, by 2020 i think all the uh, you know your subsidies from the government will be gone right so moderate success is what i would say but uh, given that you know tesla is a is a great product i would really hope that you know uh, it's more than moderately successful uh, but yeah it is going to be a bit of a challenge in my personal opinion uh, given the price point and all those things plus the fact that uh, by the time they they are operational up and running they the the government subsidies are gone so people will be play pay, pay paying the full price for the vehicles mm. um and i'm not sure like how like for example in shanghai the main motivation for people to buy the vehicle is to get a free license plate right uh, and and i'm not sure like in beijing how things are but uh I'm pretty sure in Shanghai and I believe in Guangzhou it's like the same scenario. In Beijing, yes, yeah, Beijing it's very similar, yeah. Right. So I I believe it's similar in terms of uh, these sort of uh, regulations, right? But uh, um that is a big question mark again uh because Shanghai a normal license plate is like about uh 90,000 to 100,000 RMB, right? So if uh, those sort of subsidies are not being provided Uh, not sure what is the motivation for people to spend unless and until you know there's a new regulation that says okay stop selling um, you know your ice engines or internal con- combustion engines uh, by say 2025 or whatever and i believe china is actually looking to have something of that sorts so i mean but the thing is with tesla i mean as you were saying it would like what is it i i can't remember who said it but basically you know they wish that they could sell as many cars as tesla did, does on pre-order i think it was B, byd actually so byd they're 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 putting a lot of effort into uh to rebranding and one mm-hmm. of the biggest one of the big issues for them is that they're looking at tesla and they're saying wow geez i mean like you know they're able to sell like almost their entire inventory on on pre-sale because mm-hmm. people people because they have the brand uh because mm-hmm. uh people believe believe in the product and of course they've had they've had some production problems um but it seems right. like things things it seems like things have pretty pretty much uh smoothed smoothed over but mm-hmm. i mean so the, the thing is with tesla in in the china market in particular i mean they they have the uh the potential to you know be in be in like the same space as like a mercedes or as a BMW or or as an right. Audi in the sense that you know it is it's a status symbol. I mean, I'm buying this car because I have enough money to do it. And right. so just just because subsidies are going away doesn't mean that they're going to be less successful, right? Right. So, I would say that currently Tesla is actually already selling to that sort of uh, people uh in China. I don't see anyone who owns uh, uh let's say a GM or a Ford car uh, thinking of buying uh, a tesla right they're actually looking at uh, sykes rongwei or uh, beichi's the what is that i forgot the name but beichi's electric vehicle so you're right i mean they can aspire to target that sort of audience uh, and in that case probably tesla would have to uh 
figure out a strategy to get to the tier 2 tier 3 tier 4 markets right uh, because tier 1 market is already saturated um, unless and until they they expand the pile uh, in the in the tier 1 tier 2 markets i don't think they're going to uh, have uh, that's that sort of the, that sort of uh, sales uh, plus the other factor is that uh, um Mercedes, BMW, and Audi already has got a wide uh, dealership uh, uh, distribution in in these markets, uh, tier one, tier two markets. Uh, Tesla to build that will take some time. Obviously, there is the Tesla effect, but uh, I'm 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 on the hedge on this. Let me put it that way. So. Um so I guess you know even if we're looking at kind of let, let's let's just let's just uh, focus specifically on electric vehicles uh, for a mm-hmm. moment. I do want to talk about uh, autonomous vehicles, um, but looking looking at the electric vehicle space in in China, I mean, you know, what what, what would you say are are some of the the most successful players? I mean, like BYD for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they they've been in in the uh, electronic vehicle space for quite some time. I mean that's really right. kind of like their the the backbone of their business has been batteries and uh, electric vehicles. So right. I mean, so how do you how do you rate them uh, in terms of over overall market, but then also potential, and then how do you see the rest of the market kind of kind of developing? What which which companies do you think we should keep our eye on? So yeah, I mean BYD definitely uh, they're doing some some good stuff to get their brand you know rebranded right because. Obviously, uh, if you go to certain areas in China, you, BYD is seen as a taxi, taxi sort of a car, right? It's just like the way you look at certain Volkswagen vehicles. Uh, so right now, they're making some great efforts to get their products rebranded. Some new designs are coming out. But uh, if you ask me personally, I am sort of bullish on Geely, right? Uh, especially after their acquisition of uh, acquisition of the Volvo, uh, they've already started producing some of the uh, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles uh, in the in the Volvo. I think it's an S sixty or something of that sort. Uh, basically, I am pretty bullish about uh, Geely. I mean, from amongst the Chinese manufacturers, um, I see great potential in uh, SAIC also uh, with their. Wrong way or Rovi as they call it, um, but uh, some of the smaller players. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of examples of smaller players uh, struggling to keep up with the market and struggling to keep up with the uh, the demands of the market because vehicle development is pretty expensive. Um, another company that I can think about is Great Wall Motors. Um, they have a good potential, especially in the SUV area. Uh, that's one of their key strength. Uh, so if they do come out with uh, an, uh, a competitive uh, electric vehicle offering, then I do believe that they, they can be successful. For me personally, the top three is definitely uh, Chile, SAIC, and uh, BYD. Yeah, I mean, just kind of kind of bigger picture for a second. I mean, one of the things that I've 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 been really struck by in the last uh, maybe year or or a little bit more perhaps, uh, and of course it's completely anecdotal. I, I don't uh, have any data on this, but the number of Chinese um, kind of mid tier 
cars. So the number of cars on the road, uh, mid-tier, that are of a Chinese brand. And even some even some higher end. There's um, mm-hmm. there's one car. Uh, it looks like Land Rover, um, but it should. But on the back, it just says Beijing. Um, so I'm not I'm not quite sure which company that is. But also, just more if it says Beijing. It should be Beijing Automotive. But uh, yeah, I mean, it could be anything, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, but also, you know, I've been seeing a lot more BYD BYD cars. Uh, as you said, a lot of Geely cars, and so that's that's one of the really interesting things. I think uh, a trend um, that I've just seen kind of anecdotally on the streets of Beijing is that is that you know the the Chinese middle class uh, for for whatever reason are choosing to buy more and more uh, Chinese uh, cars I mean mm-hmm. so so uh, this is a bit tangential but I mean do you think that's because of um, you know kind of uh, like broader international forces or is it just be, is it is it that Chinese people are preferring uh, Chinese cars I mean it for for brand or or, or for price Okay, so uh, can I just take a step back and uh, explain something that I have observed since 2008? Sure. Uh, if you don't mind. So back in 2008 when I came here, I think Cherry or something, Cherry QQ was like pretty popular, right? But here is the thing, John. I've not seen many, uh, you know, Chinese automotive manufacturers with a Shanghai license plate, right? So for me... This sort of uh, became a qualitative measure, right? Not a quantitative measure, a qualitative measure uh, in the sense that Chinese people were not willing, in my personal opinion, to spend, you know, uh, 50,000 or 60,000 RMB or 100,000 RMB for a Shanghai license plate and put it onto a, a Chinese, you know, manufactured automotive uh, car, right? Um, so I saw that in the past couple of years that has been changing entirely uh, i see more and more uh, uh, saic vehicles or um, forget about saic because most of them you see are like uh, wrong way or something of that sort but if i look at vehicles like uh, say from jmc or uh, maxus i see that more and more people are willing to spend that you know uh, extra money to get a shanghai license plate for their Chinese uh, car. Now, it could be that, you know, they have like a fixed budget of, say, 300,000 RMB for a vehicle and they want to, you know, uh, make sure that, you know, they get the best vehicle for that price and the license plate. But it could also be a shifting attitude of the Chinese people towards the vehicle. Now, another thing that is very clear is the fact that uh, the vehicle quality has been improving, right? Uh, The Chinese... uh, car manufacturer had some time to you know iterate and produce vehicles which are uh, pretty good in some case uh, like in the case of uh, great paul motors uh, they knew that you know engine manufacturing is not their forte so they basically uh, acquired components from uh, japanese or uh, german uh, uh, engine manufacturers and power transmission manufacturers so yeah, I mean, quality has been improving. Uh, definitely, uh, the general, I mean, this is again to quote one of my Chinese uh, uh, colleagues, is that Chinese people don't care about brand, especially when you go to the tier 4, tier 5 markets. They only care about vehicles that can see their whole family and, uh, you know, can drive around, give them a decent mileage, right? So, they're 
brand preference is pretty low but then uh, given the fact that you know chinese manufacturers can sell at a low price uh, for whatever reason right now mm. i don't want to get into conspiracy theories but they are able to sell uh, vehicles now the, the interesting fact is uh, you know uh, gm for example has got a a local brand called uh, i think it's called wuling right and paojun uh, right these are uh, gm invested uh, products uh, local um, local products and these are also actually selling pretty well in uh, in their in their respective segments so yeah i mean people are uh, there is a shifting attitude towards the vehicle if you look at uh, some of the new players like link and co and way uh, they are actually trying to appeal to this young you know up and coming sort of uh, people the first first time car buyers right who are actually looking to uh, make their first vehicle purchase uh, they are actually um, making some great uh, you know inroads into the into the that particular segments uh, and those sort of companies are actually uh, becoming a big competitor for the international uh, car manufacturers uh, and this is a, re- a well accepted and recognized fact in the industry i just wanted to ask you one more thing um have you seen any of the lincoln co vehicles on uh, the streets of beijing because we are seeing more of that in 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 you know shanghai Oh, sorry which 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 cars link and co uh not that I, not that I know of i mean so the okay. thing is like at the end of the day i'm not i'm not too familiar with uh, chinese car brands um, I see. up up until you know electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles it was uh, the automotive sector has kind of been out been outside of my wheelhouse um okay. so uh so it's not something that i i i pay attention to very closely unfortunately okay. no, so i was just curious about that yeah yeah i might have i might have seen them uh but i, I don't recognize their um their their logo because half the time these days they don't they don't even have names on the cars anymore they just have these uh these obscure logos and you have no idea what it's supposed to be anymore um so it's easy to locate them um it's it says link and co on them okay. <laughs> on the cars yeah okay yeah so um, that no it's fine it's fine so um yeah and so i guess you know kind of um, one of the last points uh, one of the last big ones that i want to talk about was um the startup space in 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 automotive and so we've had um oh, you, yeah i mean so and and you know a lot of different a lot of different companies are trying to get into it i mean so in particular with um with um automo- uh, autonomous driving i mean you know baidu has been a big proponent of that they're they're building their their apollo platform uh mm-hmm. they have a huge engineering force um you know working working on on all the way from l1 up to l5 but then you know right. We're look, looking at the startup space. I mean, what's what's your take? Because I mean, there's there's a lot of different companies uh, trying to do something, but it seems like for for a startup that automotive is actually a pretty difficult uh, segment to get into. Yeah. So I think uh, Baidu is doing the right thing here by not trying to manufacture their own cars because uh, uh, car, you know, design, testing, and you know, manufacturing is a i would say a multi billion dollar sort of a enterprise that you're looking at right so i think in one of our uh, you know techno discussions we did talk about i mean we did basically talk about this that vehicle manufacturing is vehicle design and manufacturing is pretty expensive so you're looking at an investment of uh, anywhere between 800 million to 1.5 billion and 
upwards uh, for vehicle manufacturing right uh, design and manufacturing so yeah i mean this is why uh, a lot of startups are struggling with uh, with the with the the vehicle manufacturing and design areas so the example that we all are familiar with is faraday futures right now basically my theory is that faraday futures essentially dragged down uh, the the parent company because uh, it basically sucked sucked out all the capital from their uh, from their you know bank balances uh, it's a tough area to be honest you need to have a lot of capital you need to have patient investors who are willing to wait for at least 5 years before the product comes out onto the market uh you need to have a strong team uh in terms of the technical capability because uh if you remember clearly um faraday futures they tried to do a demonstration of their ai quote unquote on the stage and it actually failed so that brings to to the front the kind of challenges we are dealing with right um your ai needs to be capable and it's only as capable as the data you provide it with and that's where uh, baidu the way it's playing it's been pretty smart uh, by open sourcing project apollo uh, they got a few partners by which uh, they can experiment and get the right amount of data to train their uh, ai and without uh, having a, a strong ai and uh, and a good hardware platform uh this not really much an automotive uh, um, manufacturer can do so startup space uh, i think uh, faraday is one of the examples of what will happen if uh, the expectations are not set right and if they spread themselves too thin uh, neo has been pretty uh, balanced in the terms of in terms of how they are managing their uh, you know manufacturing and how they are manu- managing the vehicle development uh, they are not making big promises although they are doing a lot of good stuff uh, i think it was in the ces that i saw their uh, uh, autonomous vehicle uh, uh, demonstrated but uh, i think uh, faraday there's no recovery for faraday as far as i can see yeah i mean i think was it you or or someone else in our in in the technode wechat group called it a dumpster fire <laughs> not been, me not me okay not me. Yeah. okay yeah but anyways my english is not that good <laughs> point being is that um i mean after after i heard that term being applied to them I can't help but think think uh, you, I I in my head I keep applying that same term because I mean they just I mean just went from from bad to worse um and I think at the end of the day just really took money from the wrong people or um in in the sense in the sense that not in the sense that they didn't have their you know the founder's best interest in mind or maybe even the company's best interest in mind um or and you know they they I mean, they they were just never able to produce a product, um, and so they really screwed the pooch in a, in, a, in a lot of different areas, and and now now it's basically it's basically too late. Um, right. So I think uh, one of the major issues was the fact that they stretched themselves too thin. Right. I mean, uh, basically, uh, what 
Tesla did was the right approach. They came up with the Roadster, then the Model D and so on and so forth. They had a proper product iteration cycle and all those things. And they ensured that, you know, they're not over-promising. Now, I guess this is one of the issues that you see generally in the in the market, China market, is that uh, founders tend to yeah, sort of exaggerate what their vehicle is capable of, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good aspirational goal to have, but uh, I guess uh, that reality check was not there, right? And it's probably got to do with the the top-down culture and all those things. Now, yeah, I mean, that's my personal view again. Uh, yeah, if, uh, yeah. Well, great. Well, uh, Vijay, I think we're... Um we're coming up on time and I don't, I don't really have any other questions to ask. Um, but is there anything that, uh, that you wanted to mention, uh, before, before we go, any, any topics or anything that, that, that we should cover, um, that we're missing? Uh, no, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, as since I'm leaving China, right. And I'm, I'm like 99% sure that I'm leaving China now. So, <laughs> I would say that uh, it would be interesting for uh, people who are still here to, uh, you know, observe what is happening in the local automotive space because uh, I personally feel that, you know, they're going to uh, to have a lot of uh, advancements, uh, at least in terms of the technology they're bringing into the car and stuff like that. Uh, one of the areas where uh, you can see uh, China leading, and this is my personal belief, is in the electric vehicle space um, and definitely autonomous vehicles is one of the areas that China is aspiring in. So as people who follow tech, it'll be interesting for us to watch uh, how China, the AV space, AV and EV in China evolves, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's pretty much uh, a mobile phone on wheels. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to watch the technology that goes into the vehicles. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think I think that you know maybe we'll have to have you on uh, again at some other point to talk a little bit more in depth about uh, the electronic electronic vehicle and uh, autonomous uh, vehicle market. But unfortunately, you know we don't we don't have the time for for this episode. Um, no but VJ, be, but VJ, before we do go, um, if people want to find you online, where can they do that? Um, yeah. So I'm 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 pretty I'm. I'm on all the social media uh, sites, but uh, since uh, we are pretty much China-focused, WeChat is where you can find me. Okay. My WeChat is Vijay Govind, V-I-J-A-Y-G-O-V-I-N-D, without any space, right? So uh, you can connect with me, ask questions, uh, or even, you know, if you're in Japan, uh, just reach out to me and we can probably go out for a drink. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Vijay, yeah. thanks, thanks so much again. I really appreciate no it. No problem. Yeah. Thanks for having me, John. It's fun. Mm-hmm.